This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. As I was walking out, uh, our associate pastor Bob gave me this water. Apparently, I'm not ready for a big boy water yet. Uh, I don't know if it's a commentary on how long I'm supposed to preach, but I'm not going to drink it. So... Uh, my name's Kevin. I have the privilege of sharing for a few minutes today until my pint-sized water is gone. Uh, to finish up the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, here at the church, I have the privilege of working with our uh, missions. Well, it will be our missions team as soon as we get a team. So if that's something that excites you, shoot me an email. Right now, I get to work with myself and anyone we send on trips. I also get to oversee the youth ministry, which is such a gift, everything from birth up through high school. Uh, so it is, it's a lot of fun, and every once in a while I get to, uh, to be here with you, find people preaching on Sunday morning. So we've been reading a letter, hearing a letter, written by a Roman prisoner uh, named Paul, who happens to be a follower of Jesus and one of the leaders of the Jesus movement that broke out uh, in Jesus' life and then shortly after his death, and God raised him from the dead, this movement began to happen among the people, both the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people, and Paul is a leader in that. And Paul's in jail, and he's writing to a a community of people in Colossae who he has never met, who have never met him. And he goes through in the first couple chapters of his letter, greeting the people, uh, sharing with the people, telling the people how much he appreciates them. And then around chapter 2, he gets to the heart of his story. And that is that Jesus has changed everything. Jesus' life, uh, his death, and then God raising him from the dead has transformed uh, history. At one unique point, but spread back and forward throughout all history, God has done something unique in, uh, in and through Jesus and in and through the people. And from that point on, Paul begins to talk about how we need to live in response to uh, this unique thing that Jesus did. He called it the mystery of Christ coming up here in chapter 4. This, uh, this thing that Jesus has done, that Jesus has broken forth, that people can have a relationship with God, that God hears them, that they can speak to him, that God is with them. And so he says, now you need to live this way. And we've been spending the last few weeks talking about how we need to live, not just because of what Jesus did, but because Jesus gave us a way to do it. Jesus gave us connection to God so that we could have right relationships with our families, husbands, wives, kids, people who work for us in our households, uh, larger communities of faith. And today he's going to talk about, in the close of this letter, uh, three things. Prayer, how this Jesus movement affects our prayer life. He's going to talk about how Jesus affects the way that people inside the community of faith engage with people outside of the community of faith. And then he's going to end with how Jesus life, his death, and then God raising him from the dead affects the way that we have friendships. And then he's going to say goodbye. But don't worry, there's more of the Bible you can read on and even come back next week and we'll give you more of the story. So let's start out in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Why waste another minute with the intro? Let's start out with devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful Pray also for us 
that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. If you're hearing this letter, if you're part of the Colossian community and you're hearing this letter, and you hear three times a repeated word or repeated phrase, you know the author's trying to tell you something. This was a literary style that the author would say, listen up, pay attention, this stuff is important. He says, pray three times. He starts out by saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And uh, that word devote in the original Greek carries with it the idea of doing something continually without ceasing, praying all the time. And this goes back to Jesus because we can pray without ceasing because we know that God now hears our prayers, that God answers our prayers. Jesus opened up uh, the door of communication between people and God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. He says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, or though you have evil in you, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to him who asks? Now, is God like the coffee machine in the lobby? You put in a dollar and you get a latte? Not exactly. Although, if you want to go put in a dollar and get a latte and bring it up to me, that'd be fine, because my water's not going to cut it. But that's not God. That's a coffee machine. But we do know something about God through Jesus. You see, God has the desire to answer our prayers, and God has the ability to answer our prayers. And so Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray all the time, because you know the character, you know the nature of God. Jesus says in Matthew, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts, think how much more God, who is good, can give good gifts to him who asks. So pray, pray, pray. And when you get tired of praying, pray some more because God hears. God has the ability to answer your prayers and he desires to. And Paul says, pray also for me. Pray for me even though you've never met me. Pray for me even though you don't know what I look like, even though we don't G-chat, even though I'm not on Facebook with you. Pray for me. And why does Paul ask this? I I was uh, a little confused. But then I remember the Bible says that when we have faith in God, we become a larger community. We talked about this a few weeks ago when I was up here. We become a family in God. I have a little baby named Maddie, and when she was a month and a half old, uh, Maria convinced me that it was time for me to try to cut her fingernails. You know where I'm going with this. I said, no, 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 I can't cut her fingernails. Uh, You do it. She said, no, you'll be fine. She's asleep. I'll hold her fingers for you, and you just trim her little fingernails. So she's sleeping in her chair, and I I trimmed, and I trimmed, and I trimmed, and I got to the the fourth one, and I I went a little too far. I went a little too deep, and uh, she started to bleed, and she woke up, and she cried a cry that I had never heard her cry before. It was the cry of pain. I had made my child feel pain for the first time in her life. Oh. I was ruined. I I vowed at that point to never cut her fingernails again. Why even cut fingernails? That's why God gave us teeth, right? (laughs) Paul says, pray for me because I'm in prison. I'm in pain, and we're part of a family. And when someone in the family is in pain, it affects all of us. Even though you don't know me, pray for me. 
You might be saying, how can I pray for someone that I don't know? By definition, not knowing someone means that I don't know them. So how can I pray for them? Uh, and I think the, o- the only answer I can give is that unlike any other time in human history, we live in a world where you actually can know people all around the world. Uh, I was um, in my office last week and I looked on Google Earth, the Google Maps, and you can actually zoom in to different locations around the world. I saw the house that I grew up in. It was like I was standing on the front porch looking at my parents' house. I, I mean, Think about 100 years ago telling someone you can actually see houses anywhere you want in the world just by getting on a computer and looking at it. They would say you were crazy. But we live in, in a communication super age. So uh, to say that I don't know someone so I can't pray for them, I, I think on some level we just can't do that anymore because we can know the pain of our brothers and sisters around the world. We just need to open our eyes to it. Uh, I got a book recently called Operation World. And Operation World has every country in the world and it has... Uh, the things that God is doing in those countries and the ways that we can pray for those countries. It talks about persecution in the countries. And so you open it up and there's a page and it talks about all sorts of these different things and it just gives you a way to pray. Uh, if you want something like that, talk to me. I'll get a book for you. I have a, a couple extras, so just grab me after the service. Uh, but we need to be praying. Why? Because God hears our prayers. And God has the ability and desire to answer our prayers. But then we also realize we need to pray for others, even people we don't know, because when one person in our family is hurting, we're all hurting. It affects us. Even if the person lives halfway around the world, their pain, their suffering affects us. The cries of their children are the cries of our brothers and sisters. And so God, Paul says, pray all the time. Let's continue in verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, delicious, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That word, uh, be wise, actually is translated walk in wisdom. In everything that you do, walk in wisdom in the way you act towards outsiders. Uh, I, I wrote on my notes, tell a story to hammer this point home. Uh, but I didn't really have a story. I couldn't think of anything. And then uh, God, in his humor, gave me a story this morning. Uh, I was running a half hour late to get here to church. And uh, I don't like being late. It doesn't feel good, especially when I only preach every once in a while. Uh, so I'm running late, and I'm flying down Petaluma Hill Boulevard. And I'm praying that, you know, no police see me and things like that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this car is going the speed limit, and I just whew, I fly up behind him. And I try not to tail too close. I try to back up a little bit because I realize that I'm going to preach. And, um, but the person looks in the rearview mirror, and I see it's a, it's a gal, a young gal. And uh, so we, get, we get, uh, keep going, and it splits into two, two lanes, and I, I go for the pass. And I, I don't look because I don't make it a habit of looking at female women, young female women in the cars next to me. So I just I drive past, and then I get in front of them. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, I recognize that person. I know that person from somewhere. Well, they pull into the turn lane, and they turn on to McDowell. And then they keep on going, and then they turn on to Clegg Street. Uh, and then they pull in the church parking lot behind me. Remember, I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and it was one of the high school students coming to help out uh, with child care. So I got out of the car and uh, went over and apologized. I realized that, thanks, thanks, Jesus. You have a good sense of humor. That's funny. Walk in wisdom in the way you act towards outsiders because everything you do tells people what you think about 
God. And for someone who's outside of the community of faith, everything that we do as followers of Jesus, uh, they tra- people translate that into, well, that must be what God is like. Uh, one of my favorite authors is named Donald Miller. He wrote a book that I read probably five or six years ago, and I haven't been able to shake one line from that book. He said, what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. And that line is, has, it's, it's struck to the core of me. What I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. Paul says, walk in wisdom in the way you act towards people outside of the community of faith. In everything that you do, be wise. Be wise because the things that you do tell the world around you who God is. If you are kind and compassionate, joyful, they realize that God is kind and compassionate and joyful. If you are sarcastic and rude um, and cheap, if we go out to lunch afterwards and we're stingy with our tip, people think, well, God must be stingy. Side note, I heard that Sunday afternoons um, is traditionally the worst day of tips in restaurants because Christians are traditionally the worst tippers. That's a sad state. Maybe we think we've given too much to the church so we can't tip afterwards. I don't know, but that's sad. Walk in wisdom. And verse 6 says, Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I love chips and salsa, and I love salt. Three of my favorite things. I've formed a bit of a bad habit over the years of taking a chip, and I'll dump salt directly onto the chip. I know. This is... This is a descriptive story, not a prescriptive story. Don't try this at home. I keep the chip fairly flat, and then I dip it into the salsa to get some on top, and then I eat, and I, and I do this back and forth. Uh, I'm trying to break the habit, but it's a hard habit to break because salt is delicious. Salt, uh, you know, salt is a flavoring agent. Salt adds flavor to the things it's added to. And Paul says, let your language be salted with grace. Let grace be the flavor of your language. So everything that we do uh, is, is acted out in wisdom, and everything that we say is flavored, is salted with grace. So we have to ask the question as a community, do we have salty language? Is our language full of grace? Is grace the way that we live out uh, our lives, our faith. Does the language of grace invite others to experience God? Do we have salty language? Are you a salty person? I'm not talking about cussing like a sailor. I'm talking about, I apologize to anyone in the uh, service, in the sailing area, the sailing scene. <laughs> Sailors of any sort, please don't charge the stage. But are you salty? Am I salty? Are we graceful? Are we gracious in our speech? Does our language invite other people to experience this Jesus? You see, salty language tears down the walls between people and God. Salty language opens up the doors for the mystery of Christ to begin to move. Remember, that's why Paul's in chains, for preaching the mystery of Christ. And salty language opens up that door. I want to be a person whose language is salted with grace because I know how good salt tastes on chips and salsa and I know how good graceful, gracious language tastes or sounds to my ears. Paul says, community, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and have 
language that's salted with grace. Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So in verse 7, Paul switches back to community and spends the rest of the letter talking about what true friendship looks like within the faith community. Thank you, Bob, for the water. It is delicious. He starts by saying, uh, Tychicus is going to tell you about my imprisonment so that your hearts will be encouraged. And those two don't seem to add up to me. I've had, I've received calls when friends have been put into prison, and it did not encourage my heart. It, it made me sad. It, it made me pray, but it did not encourage me. So I tried to figure out as I'm studying this, what is Paul trying to say here? How is his imprisonment going to encourage the hearts of the people? And, and what I could come up with was that Paul is in prison because he's been sharing the mystery of Jesus. Because he has been living the life that God called him to, and that's landed him in jail, in persecution, in hard times. He's not in prison because he was acting up or doing something wrong. He's in prison because he was sharing the mystery of Jesus. And I got to think that that would encourage the community because if Paul can be in prison for sharing the mysteries of Jesus and still be worshiping God, then maybe we can get through the things in our lives. Maybe my situation isn't as bad as Paul's because I'm not in prison. I'm here with you fine people. But when things come up that are difficult, I can look at Paul and say, he could do it, so can I. You see, true friendships thrive when we're drawing each other closer to God in all circumstances. True friendships thrive when we draw each other closer to God in all circumstances. Paul knew what it was like to go through hard times. But even in the midst of that, he knew the character of God. And so he could praise God, rejoice in God. And he could tell the people, be encouraged, take heart. When you go through hard times, God is still God. God is still with you. God still cares. Pray without ceasing. True friends draw each other closer to God. In verse 10, he continues. My fellow prisoner... Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proven a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you as a servant of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And so Paul goes through a list of men and women, and he affirms and encourages the heck out of them. He goes over and over, Greet Mark. Welcome Mark into your house. He's a good guy. Epaphras, he's praying for you all the time. I vouch for him. He's good. He cares about you. 
Send my greetings to the churches in Laodicea and Heropolis. Greet Nympha and the church in her house. He begins to encourage and affirm and encourage and affirm. And we, we live in a world that's fairly self-focused. It doesn't go this direction. It comes back in. Sometimes that self-focus leads us to competition with friends. We think if they get a promotion, somehow I've been slighted, and so we can't celebrate our friendships, even if we work in two different fields, which is kind of crazy to me. Uh, Or we see joy in someone's life, and something about that rubs us the wrong way because we want that joy. Maybe we're going through hard times, but true friends take joy, and true friendship takes joy in the success of others. If anybody has a reason to be bitter Betty, it's Paul. Paul is in prison. He's in prison. He's not getting a lot of food. He's been beaten throughout his life. He has a hard road. Why? Because he followed Jesus. If anyone has a reason to be bitter and to be angry at the success of other people, it's Paul. But Paul knows something about friends. Friends encourage and affirm each other. They take joy in the success of each other. So even though Paul is watching the world pass him by from a prison cell, he's able to affirm the people on the outside. Even though Paul doesn't know if he'll ever get out of prison, he's able to say, good for you. You're doing it. Stay strong. Keep going. Greet this person. Welcome this person. They're doing a good work. He takes joy in the success of his friends. After this letter has been read to you, See that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you have received in the Lord. We don't know exactly what's going on with Archippus. It could be that he just needs some encouragement uh, to keep on going strong. It could be that he has turned in the opposite direction of what God has called him to. Maybe he's walking away from God. We don't know his situation, but we do know that Paul encourages him to live well. I think we, uh, we oftentimes, so we don't step on people's toes, we become yes men. Yeah, do, what, do whatever you think is best. Do what's right. If it works for you, then it works, then that's fine. But if I see a friend and they're hurting, they're doing something that's destructive to themselves, to their family, to their friends, and I just say, go ahead and do it if you think that's the best thing. Am I being a true friend? You see, true friends encourage each other to live well. If I see a buddy who's uh, doing something to, to hurt his marriage, to destroy the thing that God has brought together, but I don't sit down with him and say, hey, I see this pattern. What's going on? Are you okay? What choices are you making? If I don't do those types of things, am I really a true friend? If we see friends sinking in to unhealthy things and we keep our mouths shut, is that friendship? I don't know. I I don't know that it is. True friends need to encourage and challenge each other to live well, with three caveats. Um, We have to have a strong relationship with a person before we can challenge them to live well. If you start going around the church and telling everyone you see the things that they're doing wrong, that's not going to build up the community of faith. And that's what Paul is saying. He wants to build up the community of faith. If you think that the pastor is now giving you a green light to go out and just ruin everyone, hold your horses. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. We, we can't just go out and, and, and tell people, well, you need to change that habit. You need to change that pattern. We need to have some relational currency before we start to write that check. Are you with me? 
that's the first caveat. We need to have a strong relationship, have some relational currency in our bank accounts. The second thing, now the second caveat to this is our communication needs to be salted with grace. We need to be salty people, especially in this type of communication. When we're telling someone, a friend, a close friend, hey, I see that you're doing something that doesn't seem helpful to you, helpful to your relationship with God, helpful to your relationship with your family, your friends. We need to have communication that's salted with grace. And the third caveat is, for the other side, I need to be open to be challenged to live well. If I'm not open to be challenged to live well by my friends, by my community, and you come to me and try to tell me something that you see in my life that's not helpful, I'm not going to hear it, and it's going to form a division between us. But the deepest friendships are the ones where we can actually ask other people, what do you see in my life? Can you speak into my life? So I invite you, form that kind of community. And you might not have that with 600 people in the church, but maybe you have that with two or three other people or four or five other people that can speak into your life and ask them, What do you see happening? Because true friends encourage each other to live well. (laughs) That means I get to go longer, just so you know. What a guy. What a friend. Good old Bob Merwin bringing me a half cup of coffee. <laughs> Talk about a conversation breaker, you know? That just t- knocks it down. Let's, uh, let's wrap it. Paul's going to wrap it here. We are in uh, verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It was traditional for an author uh, like Paul to have a scribe writing out the letter for him. He would be uh, giving it to him orally, and the scribe would be writing it out. But then the author would usually sign the last part. I write this with my own hand, so you know it's from that person. So it's not, um, it's not a, a false letter, a fake letter. So Paul says, I write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. Remember, I am in prison because I have been preaching the mystery of Christ. Grace be to you. Grace be to you. Grace be to you. Grace from Paul to the community in Colossae. Grace from Paul to the community at New Life. Grace from God to us. Grace be with you. Grace from one to another with language that is salted with grace. Grace be with you. Grace to you. Today, in this moment, would we be experiencing God's grace? Grace be to you. Grace be to you. Without God's grace, we can't do any of the things that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. So grace be to you. Would that just flow over our community? God's grace graciously pouring out like a waterfall running down on us. Grace be to you. Grace be to you. Without God's grace, none of this is possible. Grace be to you. We're going to end with a time of communion where we experience God's grace to us. You see, Jesus, we, we learned in chapter 2, Jesus lived, he died, and God raised him from the dead. He committed the, the ultimate sacrifice that God's grace might be with us. He gave himself for us. And so we go into a time of communion 
where we take a cup of juice and a piece of bread and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus so that God's grace might be with us. And then as that grace is in us, like we sang uh, from the inside out, that grace would be poured out to this community, to Petaluma, to Roner Park, to Santa Rosa, to the world. Grace be to you. If you're here this morning and you don't, you're not in a place where you want to take communion, for whatever reason, that's totally fine. And when, when the tray comes, just pass it to the person next to you. But I invite you, sit in that reality that God's grace is poured out over you. God makes his grace available to you that you might receive that and then pour that grace out to others. Let's pray. In all the things we've learned in the book of Colossians, we ask that you would cement those uh, deep within us, Lord, that uh, you would make the things that we've learned not just something we know in our heads, but something that we know in our hearts, a reality in our lives, that we would be able to walk in wisdom, that we would be able to have language that is salted with grace, because we have received the grace that comes from you, that it might flow out into the world that's hurting, that needs your grace, your love, your compassion, your care. God, thank you for the gift of your grace to us, that we can call out to you and you hear and you answer our calls. As we sit in this holy moment, would you remind us again of the grace that you have poured out, that we might know and be known by you, our creator, our father, our God, our lover. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.